This Word on Fire Minute is brought to you by Advantage Futures. As Catholics, we must take advantage of new technology to spread the faith. Wordonfire.org is on the front lines, featuring the work of one of the church's best messengers, Father Robert Barron. At wordonfire.org, you'll find inspirational podcasts, videos, audio sermons, books, DVDs, and the Catholicism Project. It is one of the most ambitious efforts ever to promote the Catholic faith to the world. Catholicism is Father Barron's global documentary series, filmed in high definition and now in production for TV and DVD. Father Barron's series will illustrate the beauty and depth of the church and explain the Catholic faith on our own terms. It will be an exciting new way for families, parishes, and schools to teach Catholicism. Preview the production, join our email list, and contribute to the Catholicism Project at wordonfire.org. Become part of the story today. This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us, so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, how wonderful are these readings for the Easter season. So full of theological depth, so spiritually rich, so marked by joy. That's what strikes me, the joyfulness of these readings from the Acts of the Apostles and from the Gospels. I'd like to begin with our Gospel reading, taken from the 24th chapter of Luke. I think I've mentioned to you before, I think this chapter is a kind of masterpiece within the masterpiece. Luke's Gospel as a whole is beautifully crafted and organized, but this chapter is a kind of gem It includes one of the greatest stories ever told, the account of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And it concludes with our passage for today, this appearance of Jesus to the eleven in the upper room after his resurrection. The first thing to note is the startling realism with which the resurrection is depicted. Now, I talked about this last week. I'm going to say it again because the readings keep insisting upon it. Even in Luke's time, let's say toward the end of the first century, there were people who wanted to explain away the resurrection or to soften it into symbolic language. And there are, of course, today many who advocate just this position. But Luke, with the mainstream of Christianity, resists this temptation. Here's what we hear in his account. Jesus suddenly appears in the midst of the disciples. What's their reaction? They're terrified, convinced they were seeing a ghost. Now, first century Jews believed in ghosts. A lot of ancient people did. And a lot of people today believe in ghosts. 
If I watch uh, many of the movies are predicated upon ghost stories. The first century Greeks believed in the immortality of the soul, that at death the soul left the body and went to a spiritual realm. But see, here's the point. Luke is extremely interested in showing that the risen Jesus is neither a ghost nor a disembodied soul. He says, look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. That is extraordinarily significant. Again, keeping in mind what I said last week about the bodiliness of the resurrection, Jesus invites them to see his body, to touch it, the the solidity, the very fleshiness of it. Psychologists say that the sense of touch is the most realistic since we know how often our eyes can deceive us. But if you can touch something, that really tells you that it's there. It's objective. Well, the risen Christ invites them to touch him. This, again, speaks to the nature of the resurrection and the nature of our hope. We do not long for the release of the soul from the body as though that's the end of our hope. Rather, we await the salvation of the whole person, body and soul. We look for the resurrection of the dead. Not the escape of the soul from the body, but the resurrection of the whole person. As I mentioned last week, we don't long to escape from the world so much, but to witness to a new heavens and a new earth. Transfigure, transform through grace. We don't want to simply describe death from another point of vantage. We want to conquer death. See, if you say, well, the soul escapes from the body, that's just describing death from another vantage point. We don't want something as banal and bland as that. We want to conquer death. That's what the resurrection of Jesus means. Just in case they or we have missed it, we hear that Jesus takes a piece of fish and eats it in their presence. You know, this calls to mind for me Peter's great speech in Acts when he speaks of those of us who ate and drank with him after his resurrection. It's extraordinary, isn't it? He's not saying those of us who knew him and ate and drank with him in his earthly life. Rather, he's saying those of us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. All forms of docetism are hereby ruled out. I'm putting my theologian's hat on for a second. The docetists were those in the early church who claimed that Jesus only appeared to be human. He was God, but just under this sort of veil of humanity. He wasn't truly human. Luke is ruling out all forms of docetism here. Jesus is truly human. He dies in his body and he rises in a transfigured body. All attempts to think the resurrection away as a legend or a myth or merely subjective experience on the part of the disciples is cleared away here. That's the point Luke is trying to make. 
and it, it provides the foundation for the church's understanding of resurrection faith. Okay, all that I think is very important. It's reiterating something I said last week. But here's now a second point I want to make. One that is, is unique to this gospel. It's a theme that is very, very powerful in the New Testament. The link between resurrection and the forgiveness of sins. The link between resurrection and repentance. Once he has clearly identified himself as risen in the bodily sense, Jesus speaks to the apostles. Here's what he says. Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Something, of course, very similar is found in our first reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Having declared the resurrection in clear and and very certain terms, Peter says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be wiped away. Okay, what's the link then between this vividly realistic sense of resurrection and repentance and forgiveness? Well, as I mentioned to you before, the word repentance, repent, translates the Greek word metanoia from two words, meta, beyond, nous, which means mind. Metanoia, metanoiate is the, is the imperative, repent, means go beyond the mind you have. See, before we get even to the moral level, it's getting at something more, more fundamental, at the way we think and the way we see. It gets to the level of our attitude, Think differently. Change your perspective. That's what metanoia means. In light of the resurrection, we know that God's deepest intention for us is life and life to the full. In light of the resurrection, we know that God does not intend death to have the final word. In the light of the resurrection, we know he wants a renewal of the heavens and the earth. And here's the point. Therefore, we have to stop living in the intellectual and spiritual space of death. Let me say it again. In light of the resurrection, we have to stop living in the intellectual and spiritual space of death. We have to stop living intellectually in a world dominated by death and by the fear of death. We have to adjust our attitudes in order to respond properly to what God really intends for us and for the world. See, friends, here's the thing. Though we rarely avert to it, we live in a kind of death-haunted space. What's the one great fact? What's the indisputable thing that no one can argue about that we're going to die? You know, we make jokes about death and taxes are the two things we know for sure. 
The fear of death, therefore, broods over us like a cloud and conditions all of our thoughts and actions. Because I'm going to die, I live in a kind of perpetual fear. Because I'm going to die, I need to get what I can now. Because I'm going to die, I've got to get you before you get me. There's something about the fact of death that conditions all of our thoughts and decisions and actions. But think about this now. Think about this. What if we really believed? I mean deep down. I mean in our bones, really believed that death did not have the final word. What if we really believed in the church's faith in regard to the resurrection of the dead? Would we live in such fear? Would we live in such a cramped spiritual space? Or rather, would we begin to see that the protection of our little egos is not the number one concern of our existence? Wouldn't we be able to live in a much bigger, more open space Wouldn't we be able to live in a much more relaxed manner if we knew that God is God and God's intentions for us and for his world are life and life to the full? Maybe we could let go. And now can you see why the stress is placed on metanoia, changing your mind, and then secondly on repentance. Change the way you live. Change the way you live. Be converted. Participate now in the wiping away of your sins. See, where do our sins come from? You could argue all of our sins come ultimately from the fear of death. What if you no longer had that fear of death brooding over you? You could change. You could convert. And your sins could be wiped away. Now, you'd have the courage to participate in the works of justice, love, peace, nonviolence. Because when you so participate, you are standing on the right and winning side of history. This is why I think, friends, in the early preaching and proclamation of the church, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is rightly and tightly linked to the forgiveness of sins. Sin is produced by a kind of cramping of the soul. And that cramping in turn was caused by the fear of death. What if that fear were removed? We could live in a different space. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. Pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love.